Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Exurgat Deus et Dissipentur Inimici Eius et fugiancio deruntium a pacia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangelae defende nos proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diabolias do praesidium. Imperetili Deus, suplices aprecamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignosque ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum detrude. Amen. Cordiesus sacratissimum, miserere nobis. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatus Carolus domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine ostende facem tuum et salvierimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I've been taking some time to contemplate part of the message of Our Lady of the Rosary in Fatima. If Russia is not consecrated, she will spread her errors across the whole world. Errors, plural. For most of us, we generally think of communism as being the error. The error. And to be sure, it's, it's most certainly among the errors. The church hasn't officially condemned communism, really should have taken the advantage taken advantage and actually done so during the Second Vatican Council, but they didn't for various political reasons. Um, and after listening to a podcast on the meeting of Catholic by Timothy Flanders about um, the validation for, tra- for traditionalists that came from... Uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, now Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. It's interesting to see 
Because one of the errors of modernism slipped in as traditionalism. Timothy Flanders actually went through and he, and, uh, he was talking from a couple of books, uh, none the least of which actually talking about his own, um, The City of God. The, the error that was brought into play was a rigidity, a narrow-mindedness. And it kind of expresses itself in a lot of traditional circles as sort of uh, as a kind of legalism, like a like a a an almost scrupulous adherence to everything that we think we can hold on to. Um, and it was interesting because I spent a lot of time today on, on the meaning of Catholic because you had the Paleocrat Diaries and then um, and then Timothy Flanders's own episode. And they both kind of bounced off of each other, at least for the first part of, of the Paleocrat Diaries, because um, <clears throat> Jeremiah Bannister was aggravated, to say the least, about some of the some of the things that came to pass in the last several weeks, particularly regarding Pat, um, Patrick Coffin and Taylor Marshall, and some of the uh, continued accusations about the Pope being a heretic and this, that, and the other. Um, and as you know, on this show, I've just generally sort of written it off because it's well above my pay grade. Um, and so, and that's generally what I treat most of the crazy that like, while I talk about it on the podcast, and I think I'm actually going to stop talking about it quite so much. But the fact is, is that my intent of living out the faith principally has to do with my own salvation and then any encouragement and or admonishment that I can give to the brethren. Um, and that's basically it. There are things that we have to be careful of. You know, we have to be careful of this crazy pagan sort of environmentalism. We've got to be careful of allowing liberation theology and very, and other Marxist concepts um, from infiltrating our own walk and at the same time, too, we also have to be very careful not to be particularly rigid. And I know as, a, as an ex-occultist, I have an easier time with not getting too terribly caught up in the legalism. And the principal reason is because as, you know, the whole point behind ending up as an occultist, like the whole... That whole aspect of the walk was the exploration of the mystical, which has a tendency to be get, to get lost when we're talking about all of these things about faith and dogma and doctrine and things that we can do, things we can't do. Um, and so I tend to obviously eschew the things that we can't do that are, you know, sort of blatantly taught about. But as to some of the other stuff, like I do have a unique perspective because I walked as a Protestant, as an occultist, as all of these other, you know, as all of these other things that were not Catholic. And I arrived in the Catholic faith because when I read the catechism, 
most especially actually when I read the catechism, you know, the, the Roman catechism, the one from uh, the Council of Trent, I've spent so much time walking the other paths that it was very easy for me when I read the catechism to go, this is true. Pretty easy. Like, to a ridiculous degree, easy. I already proved what was false by walking the false path in the first place. So I tend to push the boundaries a little bit, and I've been admonished by a few, a uh, couple of traditionalists on Twitter. Um, and I do appreciate the admonishment. However, unlike many traditionalists, uh, particularly the ones who came, who, who were in tradition, um, who maybe never left the faith, but went from like the Novus Ordo sort of wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed, milk-toast kind of faith to, you know, more ardent, zealous, traditional faith. If you haven't walked those dark paths, then there's no... Things that look like darkness are actually just another presentation. So in the aftermath of the First Vatican Council, and you get to like Pope Pius IX, Pope Pius IX and then Pope St. Pius X kind of enforced a, 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 you know, you had the oath against modernism. And so the, because so many people were willing to take the oath and, 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 thought, and thought it, the problem was is they forgot the catechesis that came behind it. And so you sort of got these uber Thomists who, well, I should say the people who thought they were Thomist, but were really just sort of reciting things. And the faith actually became sterile. They became, you know, not deliberately pharisaical, not hypocritical, but they were following the tenets of the faith without the understanding that comes from walking the path or from even experiencing the path. And so it was very, very, to quote Pope Francis, rigid. It was very rigid, very narrow. Now, you could argue then that the Pope today is a hyper overextension in the other direction. And that seems to be very much the direction he's going in because he doesn't, what he doesn't want to have happen, and this much is absolutely clear, is he doesn't want that rigidity that it must be thus and so. Now, <clears throat> I run into a little bit of an issue because, of course, as a Catholic, I want to not read into too much into the things that I, that I know are obviously wrong. And it could be, you know, a failure in being able to talk about it properly or whatever. But the one thing, a few things that we can most definitely tell is that there is not as... Cardinal Ratzinger would have said in his day, a hermeneutic of continuity. There is definitively now a rupture in the church because you have the traditionalists who want to reclaim the patrimony. And that's ultimately what traditionalists want. We want our patrimony back. We want what we were supposed to be given that the bishops before the Second Vatican Council failed to give because they didn't understand. And the bishops after the Second Vatican Council failed to give because they don't believe. To whatever degree. Because, I mean, to be sure, there are very good bishops. 
they're very good priests. But there's but the problem in proper catechesis seems to go all the way from the layman all the way up through the pontificate. And because there's a failure to understand, then the devil is willing to take in even the smallest kernel of truth and turn it, or excuse me, even the biggest kernel of truth and sort of inject it with the itty bittiest, itty, ittiest, bittiest, tiniest portion of a lie so that he can get what he wants, which is the destruction of souls. There are things... There are things that I lack the vocabulary for. Obviously, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a canon lawyer. I didn't go to seminary. I don't have years and years and years and years and years of, of Catholic catechesis from, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, uh, Gerard Lagrange or Dom Prosper Garanger. I don't. I also don't have the space for the volumes of books that I would need in order to, in or, and also I work a full-time job, so I don't have the time to just dive in and just pull out every little kernel that I possibly can so that, so that there's something of the expression of the faith. And so with the very, very significant gaps that I have in my own catechesis, and I know they're there, which is why I have a tendency I don't like punching above my pay grade. I'm a layman. I'm a mechanic. So everything has to work, and I have to be able to prove it works, and I have to be able to utilize it. Because grand lofty theories of religion are useless to me unless I have some kind of a practical application. Now, this could be a fault of me of being general, you know, having come up as a warfighter and a mechanic, and things have to, you know, you have to be able to. You have to be able to take something and then put it into something solid. It might be something else entirely. It could simply be a result of having fallen, you know, being a, being uh, tainted by original sin. These and and there's no way for me to tell, except through extraordinary amounts of prayer. And the hope. You know, that maybe someday I might be worthy enough of, like, an overt divine revelation. A, not capital R revelation, but, you know, the, the, the private revelations, like that which happened to St. Thomas Aquinas, or uh, to Bruno Cornicola, or to any number of others. Um, you know, to the, to the three children at Fatima, to, you know, St. Bernadette of Lourdes to, you know, St. Catherine of Siena or St. Teresa of Avila or St. John of the Cross. I mean, we've, we've got dozens and dozens and dozens of saints who, who experienced mystical experiences. And the one thing that they all have in common is as quote unquote unworthy as they were, they were far more worthy than me. <clears throat> what I do know is that there are things within Protestantism that I can clearly that I can clearly see, I can identify, and I can cut right to the quick and excise the heresy out because it's obvious. Particularly those heresies that led me into the into following the path of the occult in the first place. Um, Jeremiah Bannister on 
meaning of Catholic at the Paleocrat Diaries today spoke of the 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 F word, the the way word faith ministries, the various forms of word faith ministries actually sort of codify what they believe the faith is. As a Catholic, we understand the faith, like, okay, so we understand faith is the evidence of the, or excuse me, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the argument of things not seen. I'm pretty sure I butchered that one. The The new King, or excuse me, the King James Version actually says faith is the evidence of things, uh, of things hoped for, or excuse me, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is clearly not the right word, especially if you're going to understand faith in a Catholic in, in a Catholic manner. I tend to look at it as faith is an operation of the intellect and the will. You hear the word, the word rings true. Because the word rings true, typically because it is true, if it is in fact true, the word rings true, and then you move to conform yourself to the word. Intellect, recognizing the truth, and then conforming yourself to the truth. Will. There's far more to it than that. But as I said, I'm a very practical. It has. I have to have an active praxis to apply it. So yes, you have the shield of faith, which is, of course, knowing and understanding the truth. Knowing, understanding, and conforming yourself to the truth. And if you do those things, then you are in a really good state because you have a solid shield with which to quench all of the fiery darts of heresy and apostasy from the evil one. So you have to hear the truth, and then you have to conform yourself to the truth. You have to hear the truth, recognize it as the truth, conform yourself to the truth. It's kind of a three-step process. Faith also comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> which means the truth comes, and so faith comes. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> and I probably botched all of that up, and I hope, it, I hope it made some kind of sense, but I'm a mechanic, and so, you know, pliers and wrenches and nuts and bolts. Um, I'm a warfighter, so bombs and rockets, missiles, arrows, swords, all of these, all of these things have appropriate function in my mind, and so, and as I understand faith, it has the appropriate function. Of course, there is much more to it, particularly when you start to creep into the realm of the supernatural and you get into the mystical experiences, because the mystical experiences are not, we're not talking about emotional experiences and this emotional rapture that makes you feel joy and giddy and this and that and the other. We're talking about things that you recognize that you know are meta. They are beyond the ken of humanity. You see them, you recognize, you, you see them, I should say you sense them, because see them, may, may, may it might be sight, it might be sound, it might be touch, it might be some sort of tangible feeling, it might even be an emotion, although you might want to question the emotions. <clears throat> but you sense a thing, and you know it to be true, because you, because you understand that your senses can only lie to you so much. And if it conforms with what you know to be true, what you know to be amidst the deposit of faith, then you can kind of lean on it a little extra. 
it's one of the things I rather enjoy about the apparition of Our Lady of America to Sister Mary Ephraim. The apparition was to then Bishop, or was, was confirmed by Bishop Burke. It's promoted by Bishop, the, the, the devotion is promoted by Bishop Burke, or was promoted by then Bishop Burke, now Raymond Cardinal Burke. But it was reviewed by the utterly faithless Archbishop Vigneron. And you only actually have to watch how Archbishop Vigneron operates to understand that he, that he may have an intellectual understanding, he may have an intellectual faith, he does not possess supernatural faith. He and most bishops have a tendency to act a little bit too much like politicians, and they're not, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, you know, we had a, we had a quote-unquote pandemic breakout, and they shut the churches down, because that seemed like a good idea at the time. Any prelate with supernatural faith would have said, no, we're keeping the, we're keeping the churches open, because the salvation of souls is the first and most supreme law of the church. <clears throat> and none of the bishops did that. The, <clears throat> and, you know, they'll answer for it, but it's not for us to throw sticks and stones at them. <laughs> Unlike certain, quote-unquote, apostolates, which seem to get off on constantly accusing them of every bit of wrongdoing that they've ever done. And while they've done plenty of wrong, I'm in, I'm in a diocese in Montana. I care not what the bishop does wrong in Michigan. I just don't. He's not my bishop. Truth be told, the way things are currently going now, even though I'm physically present in the diocese in Montana... Neither of, the two neither of the two bishops in Montana are really my bishop. I don't attend their parishes. Like, I mean, what are you going to do? I attend a mission church. Period. Because I refuse to worship God in a manner that seems less than. And I'm going to say that sentence again, and I'm going to stress a different word. So that, people under, so that anybody who happens to be stumbling across this doesn't misunderstand. I refuse to worship in a church that seems less than. And we've got a good priest in my, in my local community. I know he's a good priest. But his hands are tied. And I'm not going to ask him to rebel against the bishop unless I can support him. Unless I can make sure that when he decides to actually follow the faith and he's secularized, assuming they don't try to punish him by laicizing him, I need to be able to, and you know, you, you have to be able to, to provide a support. I can't ask him from a practical standpoint to just reject obedience. I can't. I'm sure he's suffering a great deal because he's a very, very intelligent priest. He's the exact kind of priest where if you can't get a, an intelligent and holy priest, you know, vis-a-vis -vis someone like St. Thomas Aquinas or uh, St. Albert the Great, then you want to at least have, a, have an intelligent priest 
Because while he might accidentally fail to get into heaven himself, he can at least provide you with all the tools that you need to get into heaven. And he does it that. As much as he as much as, you know, he's able. <clears throat> and he's a good and holy like he is a holy priest. You can tell. You can tell his his prayer life is full. You can tell his priorities are set where they need to be set for the most part. I'm certainly a lot better than some of these guitar-wielding priests who, you know, who make the sign of the cross holding a guitar in the air. Like, seriously, come on. That is so, so, like, seriously, in all... When I see priests who do that, I think, man, just grow your hair out, put on the flannel, wear the sandals, and take off the cassock. There's something about you that decided that that was somehow okay. I don't need a youth pastor. I need a good and holy priest. But even for them, because here's here's where we're running into the real issue. You send a priest to seminary, and then you have some that are, you know, infamous for their debauchery, infamous for their just absolute the absolute desecrative effect on the seminarians' lives. And then even in the good seminaries, the so-called good seminaries, you have the difficulty of being poorly catechized. The priests don't undergo proper formation, and you can tell. I'm a huge fan of the seven steps of ordination. Technically eight when you add in tonsure. But you, t- but you receive the tonsure and then you work your way up through the minor orders, through into the major orders, up to the priesthood. It gives you time to learn and master each of the... to, to learn at least to an ad- at least to a journeyman's extent each of the ministries on each of the steps. It also provides an opportunity because you have more people participating in all of the, in all of the things that are involved in holy mass. Instead, we have what? We have altar boys and then we have priests. And you might have a deacon, maybe. At some point it's like whatever. It did it, it's clearly not right. But such is the state of the church. There are scarcely any virgin souls after age eight. Which is in part the state of the world. Because you might be six, seven, eight years old in the first and with your first exposure to pornography. So you've already been desecrated. And it doesn't even and the worst part about it is is that parents don't recognize pornography for what it is. Because most of the time, those quote-unquote adult things are treated like treats that you only give. Like the, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I, I, what was it, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, etc. Right? When I became a man, I put away the childish things. And we treat those things that are mature 
that are actually profane, debaucherous, lewd, lascivious, we treat those things as though those are the adult things. Which is ridiculous, because those are the children's toys. Pornography is a child's toy. It's, pornography is the toy of, of a person who lacks the maturity to, to control themselves. It's that simple. Speaking from many personal years of experience. Well, in a world that accepts pornography and doesn't even understand what pornography is, that pornography doesn't even necessarily have to be sexual in nature, although typically it is, but let's be real. Let's, let's dial back a moment. The Empire, or not the Empire, Return of the Jedi. Okay, this is a movie that was supposedly for families, right? And what did they do? They stripped Carrie Fisher down to a bikini and a loincloth. This act forced her, drove her, didn't force her, drove her into mental instability. Think about this. Today, you go, okay, she's wearing, you know, she's got, you know, the, the you know, her, her upper portions are covered-ish. I mean, they're, you know, they're covered enough where, you know, they're not obviously out there flapping in the wind. And then she's kind of got a little bit of a gown and a thing, this, that, and the other. But and and that was a movie that was for all ages. And this was enough nudity for her to cause mental problems. Newsflash. It was pornographic. And you can tell because when you listen to people, particularly people who don't have control enough of their tongues, and they talk about that particular sequence, how do they speak about Carrie Fisher? And then compare that to how they would have how they saw her in The Empire Strikes Back and in a New Hope, and in particular, A New Hope. Because in particular, A New Hope, she is very much the quintessential princess. In Empire, she's much more feminist. You know, she's got the little feminist thing because she's wearing the long pants, and she's got, you know, the battle gear and this, that, and the other. And then the whole first portion of Return of the Jedi, she's naked. Or near enough to it, anyway. And that sequence was enough to break her mental stability. Because she didn't want to be dressed in that outfit. And truth be told, it really wasn't that... I mean, let's be real for just a moment. They could have done most, like they could have kept the outfit basically contiguous and just done, you know, the skin tight fabric thing. And I think she probably would have felt better about it. But they didn't do the, 
but they didn't do the skin tight fabric thing. They glued some pieces of rubber to her, to her upper body. And then they put a chain around her neck. And they put her in kind of a long drapey front and back loincloth thing. But didn't really cover much of anything. I mean, really covered like the most important parts, but didn't really cover much of anything. And that outfit, when she talks about it in interviews, that outfit was enough to break her mental stability. Nobody talked about it. We didn't even find out about it until almost, thir what, 30 years after? 30 years after. When she was finally able, almost 30 years after, when she was finally able to talk about the mental and emotional and spiritual trauma that came from being dressed like that in front of God and everybody. Literally everybody. Remember that the Star Wars series was, never, you know, the, the original trilogy, this was not something that was only seen by one or two people. This wasn't something that was only seen on a Broadway theater stage. That outfit is iconic globally. It is the most emulated outfit in, 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 uh, uh, by, you know, at least semi-decent looking women. And I say at least semi-decent look looking women. I mean, I'm not... I'm not casting any stones at anybody who may not necessarily quite fit the stereotype of the your the body type, but it is the it is the most copied outfit by women in every science fiction and comic book convention. The most. God and everybody saw her nearly naked. That's enough. Then, of course, you have the blood porn. The, the seriously over-the-top and gruesome movies. thing that comes to mind, obviously, is actually, in this particular case, I suppose the iconic one would be Saw. I mean, there's some others. You know, the Grindhouse Theater movies and stuff like that. The, the very, very bloody, very sexualized, whatever. Like, all of those fit in that category. To a degree, you know, the, the action movies of the 80s and 90s with all of the death and destruction and all, and, all of the, and all of the bloodshed. They're the same. Visually tantalizing and destructive to the psyche. We're not talking about the old West movies where people would get shot and there would be no blood and, and, and the actor would fake dying and maybe you get the Wilhelm scream as somebody falls off a building or whatever. But if you look at the... at the hyper-intensity of the graphic violence, the graphic sexual nature, most movies today... It, like, if you watch an average movie, movie today, and then you go back and you watch the Star Wars trilogy, for the, the original trilogy, for the first time, do you get anything other than the feeling like it was quaint? I mean, it's a classic tale. 
it's a tale, you know, it's a tale, it's a tale of, you know, the, the, the making of a hero. It's intertwined with a couple of redemption stories, several redemption stories. Actually, it's one of the reasons why I like it because I'm a huge fan of redemption stories, but also the coming of age story, you know, Luke Skywalker comes of age, Anakin is redeemed. Han Solo is redeemed. Who's left out in the woods? The princess, who movie after movie is debased. Starts as, I mean, starts in the full white gown, fully covered, very, very, I mean, you know, the Blessed Mother would have been perfectly okay with that outfit. Let's be real. She'd have been perfectly okay with the outfit in, in A New Hope, in, in the original Star Wars. And then less so with The Empire Strikes Back. And then absolutely not for Return of the Jedi. The Princess Leia character, despite being legendary, was debased from movie to movie. Virginal in the first movie. Feminist, you know, feminist in the second movie. Sex object in the third. And yet, when we go back and watch the movie, it's quaint. You look at it like, nobody looks at that movie and goes, oh, well, you know, oh, that's scandalous. And that's really the problem. That's really actually the problem. Now, I'm not saying you got to stop watching the movies, necessarily. This is a, you know, I mean, I've been watching the movies my entire life because they came out when I was a child. And here I am now, almost 40 years later, after what I, after what I know is right, right around 40 years after the first time I saw the uh, Return of the Jedi in theaters as a toddler. In retrospect, I can look at it and go, whoa, wait a minute. Hang on. But when you hold that up to the other movies, TV shows on HBO like Euphoria, which I <laughs> I don't watch HBO anyway. I certainly haven't watched HBO since Euphoria came out. I think Euphoria is streaming on one of the streaming platforms. I don't care. The concept was disgusting to me. But compare Return of the, Je- the Jedi to something like Euphoria, or Altered Carbon, or Blade Runner. Compare that to anything today. The the quote-unquote entertainment has not gotten any better. And that was... A family movie. Family in quotation marks. Think about that. Is it any wonder there are no virgin souls when you have to contend with that? And I could even hear some people, you know, actually, truth be told, I could practically hear my mother 
standing behind me going, oh, oh, surely, Caleb, you can't be that prudish. Which is astonishing, considering she knows every bit the life I led. Because we're not talking about beauty. We're talking about lewdness. We're talking about lasciviousness. We're talking about appealing to the concupiscence, the, excuse me, very difficult word to say, especially since I'm not a huge fan of the letter S, but appealing to the concupiscence of every human being. And so whether it's overtly pornography or if it's just kind of close to, I mean, you know, the sport, we could be talking about the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Magazine, which I'm kind of glad, I think, I think they discontinued, I hope they discontinued it. <clears throat> the woke crowd really wouldn't do that because, I mean, <laughs> let's be real. Nobody really wants to see body positivity in a swimsuit, in a swimsuit catalog. But you got to contend with that. And it's in this world that we're trying to make saints. It's in this world where you can barely get to the age of reason before, you're sp before you've seen imagery that despoils the soul. Before you're exposed to concepts that despoil the soul in a culture that makes God into a Pez dispenser, and that's assuming they even acknowledge God. And I say Pez dispenser, but really, those people are actually occultists. They just don't know. They don't know that the exact same thing that they do for their so-called prayer is the exact same thing that a sorcerer will do, that a wizard will do, that a magician will do for their ritual. The difference is, is that the sorcerer and the magician and the wizard are far more focused. They take time out to create the imagery. They take time out for the ritual. They take time out for the meditation. They take time out in a way that Protestants just don't. They believe, they believe they've received, they speak it into existence, and etc. and whatever. And for some of them it works out really well, and for others, God thankfully has a better plan. But in none of it, none of it, not this, not the nouveau, not the nouveau uh, uh, Catholicism, not the product, not the very the myriads of Protestantism, whether it's, you know, so-called bishop. I, actually, I think that's actually his name is bishop. I'm pretty sure. No, his name is T.D. Jakes. Whether it's T.D. Jakes or Creflo Dollar or any of the others. I don't know how you could follow somebody whose last name is Dollar. Like, seriously. Like, you're going to let somebody whose last name is Dollar convince you to hand them your dollars? Whew. It's magic, man. It's definitely magic. <clears throat> but any of these so-called Protestant pastors that you would see on, on quote-unquote Trinity Broadcasting Network, any of these televangelists, any of these people like Joel Osteen, they're sorcerers. That's all they are. They're sorcerers in the name of Christ. 
That's all they are. And their number one shtick is getting their followers to believe that God is some sort of intergalactic Pez dispenser. That you, that you, you have to listen to this presumption, that you can command the universe to give you the things that you desire. And I've been there, so I know that this is in fact the case. This was very much part of the indoctrination I got as a Protestant when they were teaching Mark chapter 6. When they were teaching Hebrews 11, 1. As they were basically picking out the picking out the word of God, which was already mistranslated by Martin Luther in the first place, and then mistranslated again to accommodate Henry Henry the the uh, oh what's the word I'm looking for Henry the Eighth the philanderer you want to know why Protestants went after the witches so hard because to be sure there was some stuff in the Catholic in the Catholic domains that had to do with that had to do with you know quote unquote prosecuting witches. But a far more of it, it was actually a direct result of the Protestants. Because most of that happened, maybe in a Catholic town or a Catholic county, in a Protestant nation. But you know why they went after the witches? Because the witches basically exposed them for who they were. Speak it into existence. Ask and you shall receive. Like, if there was never a more convoluted understanding of ask, ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you shall receive. Speak, seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. And if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it will surely follow you. It will surely do as you command. I believe it's a more accurate translation. doesn't actually matter, because all of these things, I know them well. I know these scriptures well, because these were the same scriptures that I predicated my occultic practices on. The difference was is that I was an overt occultist. But this is the world that our children are growing up in. And yes, we want, to, we want to run to the traditions, without a doubt. There is nothing I want more than to camp out at the foot of the altar and never leave. Right there in front of the tabernacle and never, ever, ever leave. I don't need a bed. I barely need a blanket. I'll bring a coat. So long, as, so long as I can stay forever in front of the tabernacle. <clears throat> but we have to live in this world. And we have to conquer this world. We have to conquer our flesh. We have to conquer this world. And we have to conquer the devil. And the way that we do that, obviously, well, with the devil, we resist, and we pray, and we fast. With the world, we stay true to our convictions no matter what they say. We stay true to the Catholic faith no matter what they do. No matter how much they calumniate us or detract from us, because let's be real, we, they may even be telling the truth. Oh, that guy's a faithful Catholic. You can't trust him. 
why wouldn't you be able to trust a faithful Catholic? Because they have a tendency to tell the truth even when it's inconvenient? Hmm. Weird. Because we're Luddites and conspiracy theorists or whatever. It's not a conspiracy theory anymore. I think that should actually be proven. Nearly every single Catholic channel I know has been able to successfully predict particular aspects of everything that has happened over the last two or three years. Every single one. Maybe not the whole picture, but certainly certainly large portions. Can't call it a theory anymore. Came out in print. So in many cases, they can actually just accuse you of what you are. And that'll be enough to, to strip away your reputation. You'd be a far-right extremist, a white supremacist, a terrorist, or whatever. Knowing full well that your, that your greatest weapon is the rosary, and how that's somehow going to overthrow a government, you know, when they have guns and bombs and nukes and stuff. Well, I mean, actually, you know, if they really are diabolically uh, possessed and obsessed, then they know. They know the power of the rosary. But I'm most certainly not going to slay U.S. government soldiers with a string of beads. I mean, I could be a really good string of beads. Good quality, high quality construction. But I'm certainly not going to do that. I was just thinking about the construction of the rosary I keep on my hip. <laughs> Five fi- 550-pound paracord <coughs> with cast metal and brass beads. <clears throat> if I wanted a weapon, I could not pick a better weapon. At least, you know, a deceptively good weapon anyway. the Anyhow, Oy. like I said, heritage of a warfighter. And most importantly, we have, to conquer, we have to conquer the poison in our own flesh. And I normally wouldn't, like, throughout history, I would not have called it poison in our own flesh. Because it's our flesh. But the fact is, is that we're exposed to such devilry so early. And the devilry is most clearly poison. The lewdness, the lasciviousness, the, the, the appeal to our concupiscence is most definitely poison poison. You know, for a person who hates the letter S, I sure find a lot of words that have it like every other syllable. <clears throat> I'm not even joking. Sometimes I want to, I want to speak as though I spoke uh, Castilian Spanish because it'd be, oh, be much less, it'd be much less grating to my ears. we've got to manage to conquer the world, the flesh, and the devil, knowing that most of us have poison in the flesh. That most of us go out into the world fully unprepared. We're not catechized from birth the way we should be. Our godparents, God bless them, fail us 
Our parents fail us. They have failed us. We fail our kids in many cases. Obviously not every case. we got to figure out that balance between that conformity to all of the things that are necessary for the faith and that mystical experience. One of my closest friends, one of my closest Catholic friends, has never had a mystical experience. He doesn't, he has never had that transcendent experience with God. And even though much of my mystical expertise, if you can call it that, I'm going to call it expertise because I'm not, because experience is, I just got done using it like four times. <clears throat> but my track record in the mystical I wouldn't trade it. Because I can look at the world and I can sense movements every so often. Sense movements is the best way to put it. Every so often. They let me know that God is the one in control and that whatever it is is actually happening. Whether I'm, like, no joke, you know, whether I'm experiencing demonic retaliation like I have, Or I'm absolutely enraptured in the presence of God. Principal reason why I really, really would just love to pitch a tent under an altar and just stay there. Ad infinitum. <clears throat> because I don't have to I don't have to sense that he's there every single day that I'm there. I already know it. I've already sensed it. I already know it. But we have to strike that balance. That not everything is going to conform perfectly with what we believe the traditional Catholic faith is. First off, in America, we only actually have like one brand of traditional Catholicism. And don't get me wrong, for all of the gloriousness that is the Institute of Christ the King and the Society of St. Pius X and the Fraternal Society of St. Peter, that's only three. And they're really aspects of one. Blue liturgical garments are in my patrimony. I don't know where to find that in America. I have to go all the way back to Spain. Devotion to St. James, the Matamuros, the Moor Slayer, is in my patrimony. Try to find that in America. Devotion to St. Vlad, Prince of Kiev. I mean, it's not my patrimony. But how many churches are you going to find that in, in America? 
St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, the things that they've done for their orders. A lot of that stuff's local. I really hate to say it. I mean, I love traditional Catholicism. But all of that's missing. None of that's here in America. We don't even have we don't even have appropriate devotions to the Jesuit saints or the Franciscan saints who made it here. We don't have a culture surrounding what happened in North America. We kind of have a little bit of something going on with St. Catherine Tecaquita. But it's a little bit of something, and it's very America. And so it's very McDonald's. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I honestly hope that I'm able to illustrate this enough because I really do lack the vocabulary for this one. But we don't have traditions in the American Catholic Church. We don't even have the traditions that were supposed to be carried over from our ancestors because it all got sort of washed away in the Second Vatican Council. And so there's no blue vestments in any of the Spanish churches, despite the fact that there's a very clear patrimony for it in Florida and in the Southwest. We have some semblance of like the Ignatian spiritual exercises in, you know, the Midwest. In fact, actually, as I understand it, there's a very major Ignatian retreat. Um, as I understand it, I know that there's a major Ignatian retreat in St. Louis that I never have the ability to make it to. I'm hoping that'll change this year. Maybe. <clears throat> God willing. Especially since I, I mean, St. Ignatius of Loyola is a Spanish saint. Can I tell you how much I would love to have a former Rodello? A, you know, some, 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 fir some, some first-hand contact with a saint who was a former Rodello before he became a priest. For those of you who don't know that what that is, it's a particular kind of soldier. <clears throat> a lot of it's been washed away. So much of it's been washed away. And so as much as we're able to sort of try and bring things in, like, let's be real. How many times have you gone through and you looked and, you, and, and you're like, okay, well, I really want it. I would love to develop a devotion to this saint. And I want to develop a devotion to that saint. And I want to develop a devotion to this and that and the other. Like, I had to cut it down to what I could handle. But I'm a little bit annoyed that I don't know any of the traditions, the Spanish traditions for St. James, the Moor Slayer. I'm a little bit annoyed that I don't have an, enough, a, a full enough amount of time to work a, to work a full-time job and then, to, and then cultivate a close personal relationship with one of my favorite saints, St. Ignatius of Loyola. Or to, co or to develop a, a close personal relationship with one of my other favorite saints, um, the Saint Joseph Benedict Labre. 
Like, I don't have the ability to cultivate these. I know that I need them. I know that I want them. I know that there are aspects, there are things that, can, that I can be taught by studying their lives, by studying, by studying their, their habits, their, their, their ways of expressing the faith. And I not only don't have the time, I don't have the access because we don't have those traditions. There is more to Catholicism than Thomism. We know it intellectually, but do we really embrace it? There is more to Catholicism than St. Augustine, which is really hard to say because St. Augustine's awesome. But that should actually kind of, I mean, when you think about it, St. Teresa of Avila is awesome. St. Teresa, uh, uh, <clears throat> Teresa of Calcutta is awesome. St. John of the Cross. St. John Chrysostom. St. Ephraim. St. Padre Pio. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. How much do we really know about these cults? I mean, it's mostly what we can glean on the internet. And I love my priest to death. He's a great priest, great confessor. <clears throat> but I don't have time to sit down and talk with him about Blessed Carl of Austria. Which I would imagine would be a really big deal for him since he's Austrian. All of the saints actually have a particular have, have a cult that goes with them because it's how it's basically how they got there because it's the cult of their veneration. Duh. As a Catholic, like for those of you who are not Catholic who don't understand what the heck I'm talking about when I said cults, you're like, oh, oh, heresy, magic, mysticism, witchcraft, paganism. <laughs> Thereby illustrating your complete lack of understanding of the Catholic faith. There are enough corridors in the halls and mansions of our Lord that you could camp out in one corner, explore all of the artwork, all of the, all of the artwork and the sculptures in that one hall, having never gone to another hall, and you will still be firmly, comfortably ensconced within the sacred heart of our Lord. You will still be well within the friendship of our Lord. And you will never explore the entirety of that one hall. And we have hundreds of halls. Thousands upon thousands of rooms. Dozens and dozens of corridors. The holy city of God is so vast that you could spend your entire life in one room and never fully comprehend everything in it. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of rooms. 
When our Lord said to the apostles, I go to prepare a mansion for you. We're not talking about a little stone cottage with a thatch roof. We're talking about an imperial palace that you could never fully explore. And most of us don't even know where to start. So it is, is it really honestly any surprise? Like we think we know what we know. And most of us know nothing. The most learned among us know nothing. Because Catholicism's more than just the law. Our Lord came to fulfill the law. To be sure, it is my, it is my assertion that a person could spend his entire life studying all of the nooks and crannies that are expounded upon simply by the first commandment and never plumb fully its depths, never see fully its vistas. And we're talking about one sentence. We're talking about one commandment. And there's ten. And you could do that with each of them. Each of them. You could, you could explore the interlocking sins that come from breaking each commandment. Because they are interlocking. I mean, every sin is at its core a sin of pride. And then you add in the flavor, the various flavors of the other of the other cardinal sins that go into it. Or the other, excuse me, other deadly sins that go into it. And it doesn't matter if it's thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods. Each of them, each of them is open for a universe of exploration and all the nooks and crannies and all, you can explore all of the 64 virtues that come in practicing adhering to them. Just like you could probably spend an entire life exploring one virtue. And you'll never plumb its depths. And you'll never see all of its vistas. That's Catholicism. Clearly, there's a lot of latitude in that. If there's so much to explore, <laughs> let's be real. If there's so much to explore from enarche enologos kaiologos proston theos, kai theos enologos, excuse me, I said that wrong. <clears throat> You'll have to pardon my very, very rusty Koine Greek. Let's try that again. You could wrap yourself in that opening sentence of the Gospel according to St. John for years. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you could do that for every single verse in Scripture. I mean, you don't want to spend too much time in one verse in Scripture, but if you wanted to plumb the depths of a single verse in Scripture, you would spend a very, very long time. You would need to bring a lot of string. You probably need a significant weight 
to put at the end of that string to really, really try to see how deep you could go. In fact, you probably would take more, it would probably take more string to the point where you like, you wouldn't even be able to use string. You'd actually have to use cable. And it'd have to be some kind of super sci-fi monofilament cable because, I mean, if you use steel cable, then that's not really going to work because eventually that gets too heavy. Do you see what I'm saying here? Actually, probably not. Most of y'all probably don't use a plumb. <laughs> um, and that's not an accusation. Let's be real. This is 21st century America. How many people know what a plumb even is? <clears throat> but you couldn't plumb the depths of, the of a single sentence in the Gospels. You couldn't examine all the facets. If you'd spent your whole life just on one sentence, you couldn't. Because that's the nature of an infinite God. Because there's layers of meaning. There's angles and paradigms and all of that stuff. And it's all the truth. And we thanks to a bunch of overreactions, thanks to a bunch of false suppositions. I mean, you know, they seemed reasonable at the time, to be sure, I'm sure. But because of a bunch of overreactions and a bunch of false suppositions, we've now landed in a point today where the Catholic faith, where you would be lucky to be able to practice the Catholic faith just using the Didache. Let alone let alone have enough time to explore the Coptic traditions and the Syriac traditions and the Slavic traditions and the Greek traditions and the Spanish traditions and the French traditions and the Italian traditions and the German traditions and the British traditions, those that are still extant, and any of the traditions that were developed through the course of, you know, through the course of time in Mexico and, and Central and South America or by the Quebecois. Or any of the African rites. I mean, let's not let's let's not forget. Africa's got some traditions themselves. All of them Catholic. All, well, not all of them. Obviously all of the Catholic traditions are Catholic. But they've got traditions themselves that we may never be able to plumb the depths of. That there's nobody here who's even halfway, half of an expert on. They seem alien. They seem alien to Catholics, which is really wild. And we'll never get it all back, either. I don't even know if I could go to Spain and pull the traditions from my homeland. I don't know if I'd have enough time to really dive into the devotions. What about the specific devotions in Orem or in Fatima? Let alone Castile, Leon, Lisbon. The Catholic traditions that burgeoned, that, that managed to blossom in Morocco. 
or Nigeria, Namibia, Cote d'Ivoire. Assuming there are, assuming there's even any any <clears throat> substantial traditions left. I don't want to sound defeatist. But I wake up every day and I lament the fact that I'll that a lot of this stuff I'll never be able to explore. I am a very curious person by nature and being able to <clears throat> being able to be present for these mysteries. I'm going to use mysteries in small m mysteries, not capital M mysteries. Um but being un unable to be present for these mysteries, being unable to be present for all of for all of the wealth of the Catholic faith. And I got to be honest with you, there's a part of me that's not even really looking to, looking forward to the afterlife because I'm a little bit afraid that I'd be so over... I mean, granted, I'd have all of eternity to plumb those depths. But would I even have to? I mean... Probably the one thing that scares me the most about it is all will be revealed. I have no doubt about the beatific vision being perfect. But I know for a fact I could spend my life seeking all of the beautiful, beautiful traditions of our faith. Wouldn't be able to practice them all. I mean, first off, I'm not well disciplined enough for all that. And then there's the fact that, I mean, try to, I mean, born in the United States, trying to recapture some of these traditions gets really, really difficult because a lot of these places, they don't practice the multiple traditions. How do you get a, a St. Joseph Benedict Labre, St. Ignatius Loyola, St. Michael the Archangel, Santiago sort of set of traditions all cobbled together. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, granted, you know, they don't compare to the Holy Face and they don't compare to the Blessed Mother. Nothing compares to the Holy Face of our Lord and nothing compares to the Blessed Mother. Well, I mean... Eh. You know what I mean. At least I hope you know what I mean. If not, sorry. Like I said, I like the language sometimes. <clears throat> the Pope is right when he says we need to be less rigid. He seems to take it out on our sense of reverence. And that's maybe no bueno. 
but we have a tendency to assemble ourselves into circular firing squads. People go after Taylor Marshall. They go after Patrick Hoffman. They go after uh, Steve Skojic. They go after, you know, they, there's a lot of crossfire. And there are a lot of people who are making a bloody mess of the church. Because they can't close their mouths. They don't understand what prudential judgment is. They don't realize that you don't have to know everything. We have a right to know. That is such an Americanist garbage take. You don't have a right to know anything. We don't have a right to revelation. Divine, public, private, secular, whatever. We don't have a right to revelation. There's some things you're not going to be able to miss. You know, the Pope comes out and says that apostates are also part of the communion of saints. Okay, yeah, got it. Big that like that's kind of a big glaring thing. I got it. <clears throat> Those of us who know, we're scandalized. Got it. But I don't need to know the the ins and outs of bishop so and so in whatever diocese. I don't need to know the ins and outs of father so and so in whatever parish in a parish that I'm probably never never going to go to anyway because Let's face it, I'm probably hundreds, if not thousands of miles away. Do I really need to know the errors of the Russian Orthodox Church? No. I mean, I need to know them insofar. Like, I don't need to know who's promoting them, but I certainly do need to know what they are insofar as to be able to defend myself against them. <clears throat> And to be sure, they're clearly there because that was actually what I started talking about all this with. Unfortunately, the traditional thing kind of, I don't know, it obviously took, it took first place in this podcast. There are errors coming out of Russia. Errors, plural. So it's not just communism. It's not just liberation theology. And it's not just, you know, various Marxisms and you know, indifferentism and all the, like, it's not just all those things. It's a whole slew of them. The Bolsheviks put out the, like, they were the progenitors of the LGBTQ plus LMNOP, whatever. They were the progenitors. And then the Soviet Union started to collapse and they were like, ah, we need to backtrack. And so they suddenly became a very Victorian society because they realized that they could not build a society, but a bunch of people who were just willing to bang anything with an extra hole. Pardon my bluntness there. I realized that was definitely off-key, considering I'd taken so many great cares not to go off the rails with Star Wars. <clears throat> but that's part of it. The communism thing is kind of Freemasonic born anyway. And then it was just a matter, do we go national communism? Do we go international communism? Do we try to take over the whole world, which seemed like a good idea at the time? That's how we got the Davos agenda. The Davos agenda is, you know, international communism trying to take over the world. It's certainly not democracy. I mean, not that I like democracy anyway. It's a bunch of people who are unelected, who are unaccountable, who can just make the choices, who have nothing, no skin in the game, 
They're not even there. You know, it's kind of like a politician in D.C. They're not even there anymore. They don't really care about what goes on in New Hampshire. They haven't been to New Hampshire in forever. They don't really care about what goes on in, in you know, Lebanon, Texas. They haven't been there in forever. Who cares? The governor barely cares, and he's actually the governor of Texas. There's more than just communism. It's more than just Marxism. It's more than just Leninism. It's more than just indifferentism. It's more than just atheism. It's more than just liberation theology. It comes out in ripples. comes out in waves. What I noticed is I don't think they intend this, but there's a lot of denigration of the Blessed Mother. Like she's taken down a peg or two. That's an error. It's clearly an error. Can I speak to it? Have I had one of those experiences? Uh, I've had an experience that I, I guess you could call close enough. I mean, the most beautiful voice imaginable simply says, call on me. It tends to shake you. It tends to form you. You tend to sort of get like, you get a sense that beyond the veil, there's something far more magnificent than we can even put words to. I would actually argue that a lot of the Catholic dogma and doctrine when it comes to the Blessed Mother doesn't go far enough. It clearly doesn't go near, nearly far enough. And so I do find it kind of appalling when the Orthodox kind of step back. And yes, to be sure, she is the Theotokos, without a doubt. And she's the co-redemptrix and the mediatrix of all graces. And she's the mirror of justice and the tower of David. She's the terror, a terror of demons. She's the mother of fair love. And the mother of sorrows. She's the untire of knots and the help of Christians. She's the exterminatrix of heresy. Like, I... Legit could go on for days and days and days, and I will never say enough. And I know it in my soul from three words. I mean, our Lord didn't even have to say that much, He only had to actually say one word. <clears throat> And as, you know, as words go, it's actually, in, in the wrong context, it's quite terrifying. <laughs> in the right context, it was okay. But in the wrong context, it's quite terrifying. <clears throat> the errors of Russia are legion. Legion. That's why the consecration is necessary. Consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and she will take care of the rest. <clears throat> All we gotta do is obey. But how do you even contest them? We but I mean seriously. All that whole big that whole big diatribe that I just got done talking about tradition 
We can start with the basics, to be sure. Without a doubt, we can start with the basics. And the Russian Orthodox are legitimately our separated brethren. The Greek Orthodox are legitimately our separated brethren. The Protestants are not. They're not. The Orthodox churches have apostolic succession. There's an argument as to primacy and this, that, and the other. And obviously that's causing issues. It's argument of pride, whatever. There's errors, to be sure. Divorce is kind of a, you know, kind of one of the shining examples. <laughs> and we should know because it was kind of the thing that happened. Like, it was the one thing like Martin Luther. <laughs> kind of a big deal with him, too. <clears throat> Look. It's weird because I know I didn't want to actually go down this path on this podcast, and I knew that I couldn't go another path. I knew I couldn't talk about the other things. I wanted to go more in depth into the war in Ukraine. I wanted to go more in depth into the errors going on with globalists and the whole technocratic union. But I got to be honest with you, all that stuff is starting to just make me sick to my stomach when I think about it. Because all I want... is for everything to be made clear for everybody. And most of us understand it. Most of us know. Most of us can see it clearly, and particularly if you happen to be in the traditional Catholic sense. Because i got to be blunt. Every time I listen to the Protestants, any of the Protestants, anybody, like anybody who comes at this from a Protestant philosophy, you can tell. It's obvious. They miss huge portions. Like, pretty much everything theological. For most Protestants, this is completely a material thing. They talk about the economy, they talk about the Great Reset, they talk about the people involved, they talk about the programs involved. They might vaguely understand that this is a war between heaven and hell, but they don't really fully understand the context. They don't. If they did fully understand the context, then they would not do what they've been doing. If they did fully understand the context, then they would know that you're not gonna you're not gonna finish this one out without prayer and fasting. You're gonna, you're not gonna finish this one out if you talk about how bad it is, and then as soon as you're done talking about it, you go back to your computer and you log into some porn site. You're not going to fix this if you recognize it and you see it and then you haul your behind off to the bar and get schlitzed. And you're certainly not going to see it. You're not going to be able to fix it. If as soon as you get done seeing it and you're done watching the news, you go watch HBO. Or you watch Netflix. And just veg out the rest of the time. Or you sit down and play video games. Or you smoke weed. Or you do any of the other things that are designed to take your brain away from the reality that is. 
You lose yourself in pleasure. Lose yourself in entertainment. Lose yourself in what basically amounts from every direction as pornography. You're not going to, like, you're not going to be able to pull it off. And I wish more people understood that. And truth be told, I'm saying this to myself too. You think I don't like to veg out? You think I don't, you think I want to spend every minute, like, right here, right now? No. I mean, granted, I got a completely different escape plan if I could, well, if I'd be allowed as I've spoken about extensively in this episode, at least. <clears throat> and truth be told, actually, I'm thoroughly astonished that I managed to keep talking for this amount of time. I think it's actually mostly because part of me is wanting to test to see exactly how long I can do this before you guys tune out. <laughs> <laughs> But we're not going to fix this by the uh, what's the by the conventional wisdom. We're only going to fix it if we can if we can dive into the traditions. We're only going to fix it if we can dive into our devotion. And yes, the devil's going to come and harass us while we're sitting there trying to meditate on the mysteries of the most holy rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And yes, the devil's going to try and distract us so that you don't even have enough time to say the St. Michael's Prayer. And yes, the devil's going to jump in and make you forget maybe that you were before you, like as you dip your fork into your food and you're like, oh, I need to say grace. And maybe he's stopping you even from being able to say three Hail Marys before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning. But you got to fight. you got to try. I'm going to push back. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. As I said in the intro, and that's actually preceding this show, which is now finally in my voice, the website will be up soon. Properly up, I should say. And you can still email me at caleb at radiofreecatholic.com. You can still find me on Twitter, at Mighty Colibri. Conveniently also is my Venmo address. <clears throat> you can find me on SP3RN at Caleb the Mechanic. I do want to hear from you. I absolutely want to hear from you. Particularly, actually, if there's something I said that was apt, that was like nuts in this podcast episode, because, I mean, 90 minutes, I'm, ba I'm bound to have gotten something wrong. Bound to have messed something up. So I would like to hear from you. If you think I got it all right, well, maybe you ought to get your head examined. I don't know. The, <laughs> the, um, like I said, the website will be up hopefully next week. Should have everything up. Um, I kind of have to do everything one one step at a time. So once I get the website up, then probably the following week I'll 
get the subscribe star thing up and running or whatever. I'm not even entirely sure how much I want to do on that one because I know that if you subscribe, I should probably be cool like that and actually provide extra content. <laughs> and I'll try. But I'm also, like I said, I'm experimenting to see exactly how long I could go with a single episode on this. So we'll see. Pray for the church. Pray for the nation. And pray for all of us in Catholic podcasting. Because we're all trying to find our way through. And hopefully we're not silly enough to get so puffed up that we guide you in the wrong direction. But to make sure we don't, kind of helps to have prayers. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. And if you made it to that, I really can't believe that you made it through 90 minutes. Woo! Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.